Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doing the Rounds podcast with me, Josh Faulkner. I hope you're all keeping safe and well and thank you to all those that reached out with words of praise following my exclusive interview with Premier Promotions matchmaker and promoter John Fremantle last week. If you missed that chat, go back and listen to it. It's in the archives. You can also listen in on the conversations I've had with Johnny Kidd, Mal Sanders and many others. My guest this week is Mal Mason, who this year celebrates 50 years in the professional wrestling business. Mal is commonly known as one of the finest referees to come out of Great Britain. We talk all things from Mal's beginnings to refereeing as part of ITV's World of Sport, going to referee the German tournaments and what Mal finds himself doing in the wrestling business these days. This is a great chat to be enjoyed by fans and wrestlers alike. Before we get to our conversation this week, this podcast comes to you every Monday on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please take a second to rate, review and subscribe. Also, tell a friend, let them know what we're doing over here. I want the stories of my guests to go far and wide. So, with that said, sit back and enjoy as Mal Mason does the rounds with Josh Faulkner. My first question for you, Mal, is how are you? How am I? I'm fine. It's, it's, it's uh, in the ninth week of this coronavirus uh, lockdown. Yes. Uh, I haven't found it. I haven't found it a problem, to be honest with you. I, you know, a lot of people uh, would probably feel caged up. But at the back of my mind would be three problems that I have in my life, namely the heart failure. COPD and terminal cancer. Uh, um, obviously, <laughs> I'm quite happy where I am. Thanks. I don't want any of that corona to add to my miseries, you know. Well, that's, so, that's good to hear, uh, Mal. That's good to hear. It hasn't, it hasn't been a bother to me. I've utilised the time in doing those little jobs that you uh, say, oh, I must do that. So, Mal, what we're going to uh, do over the course of this interview is talk about your time in the world of wrestling is you've been around... For some time, and some time is definitely an understatement. So if we if we go back to the beginning, Mal, what's the first memory you have of seeing wrestling? Well, the first memory I have of seeing wrestling was going with my dad uh, to Liverpool Stadium um, as a kid. You know, I don't know, maybe 11, 12. Um, my dad used to take me on a Friday night to Liverpool Stadium to see the greater... Uh, the great of the day, uh, like Jack Pye and Alan Garfield, uh, Jim Hussey, who is Rollerball Rocco's father. Yes. So I was very pleased to meet uh, Jim in his in his later years. Um, yeah, that was my first time of sort of introduction to wrestling. Um, I think then I became a fan because I think up till then I wasn't really watching it on TV, you know, but uh, once my dad started taking me to the uh, live shows, um, yeah, Saturday afternoon, four o'clock became uh, a habit. That's when I wasn't kicking a football around somewhere, you know, in the, in the wintertime, obviously I played football, yeah. um, so I wouldn't be around because everything in those days was a three o'clock kickoff, there's none of this, you know, five past fours and twelve thirties and so on, everything kicked off at three o'clock in those days, you know, so that would not enable me to, uh, to, to see the wrestling on telly, and we didn't have the recording for 
facilities in those days that we have got today. So I used to miss a fair amount of it in the winter, you know, winter time. Yeah, absolutely. So when you were going along to the Liverpool Stadium now, and after you went to your first show, did it then become a regular thing for you when you'd go so often to the stadium? Um, Yeah, when I was old enough to go on my own, um, I used to go with uh, a mate of mine, Frank Hume, uh, who ended up one of the directors of BICC, the British Insulated Calendar Cables. And Frank and I used to go um regular every friday it was a religion more or less to go every friday i was honored to see the great luthers in one uh, one year i was there you know one time i was there um those were the days when you get to Liverpool stadium you had to queue to get in it was uh, i'm not sure how many seater maybe two thousand seater and it was heaving every friday night you know it really was little knowing of course that in the years that followed i'd be in there refereeing some of the greats of my era you know who were your favorites to watch mal when you were going along to the stadium every friday night uh, a very 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 young jimmy breaks <laughs> yeah um a fellow called ray hunter yeah he was uh, he was everybody's favorite was very that sort of uh aura about him that appealed to a young guy i want to be like ray type thing you know um probably jeff port as well he was uh, a favorite of mine and of course we all love to hate a baddie and you can't you can't get away in those days in liverpool everybody will tell you of my age the pie um family there was dominic pie there was jack pie who was uncle um there was harry pie they were all they were names that everybody knew you know they, they were the great names of yesteryear um, I think I only ever saw Jack appear once on TV, um, and that was he walked in and Kent Walton introduced him, but I never saw the match. He didn't. They didn't show the actual match, you know. Ah. So, but he did. They were the type of names that I would. I remember. I remember Jimmy Breaks as a young young guy appearing there at one stage. I can't remember what year it was, but they were the days, you know. They were the days. So you mentioned, Mal, that you would go on to referee at the Liverpool Stadium. What was your first step into the world of wrestling? Was it considering becoming a wrestler yourself, or was it always with the view of becoming a referee? Never considering being a wrestler. Um, as you probably heard through dressing room gossip, I tried it twice, uh, and if there was ever a worse wrestler stepped in British rings, uh, this both occasions at Celsius Holiday Camp, uh, if you would want to put down the worst you've ever seen, you, you <laughs> can mention my name by all means. I was on with Scott Conway in one, and then a tag match in the other. I tagged with uh, the great Johnny Kidd yes. against two two other great lads, uh, Blondie Barrett um, was one. Um, can't remember who the other one was, but it was oh Shane, Shane, Shane Stevens, right. Shane Stevens and Blondie against um, Johnny Kidd and I, and uh, 
Um, I got the winning form, believe it or not, with that grace. But, uh, you know, I tried that. Um, I originally started emceeing. I used to emcee, um, but could diversify and referee as well. Some people said I was good. I suppose there are others that have their opinion of my refereeing abilities. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed... I just enjoyed the business. So how did it... So you were an MC first, was you, Mal? Yeah, I wouldn't have lasted 50 years in the business if I didn't enjoy it, you know. Of course not. Uh, um, yeah, I, uh, Brian Dixon asked me to jump in as referee. I'd been seconding for Dales at Aldershot, uh, Guildford and Camberley for a couple of years. Right. And then Brian took over one of the venues I, I think it was Aldershot, Brian Dixon, took over one of the venues and I carried on doing seconding with him, with the caretaker of the hall, he was the owner of the hall, it was Aldershot, yeah, caretaker of the hall at Aldershot, and um, I think, I don't know, uh, Brian Dixon then asked me what I, uh, I can't remember if there was referee one night or MC. Um, which I did, uh, and uh, dare I say, got flavour for that. But uh, nobody, nobody told me about um, the business in those days. For four months, I refereed the business, thinking it was very straight indeed. <laughs> nobody told me. I changed in the corridors. I changed in the toilets. And not allowed in the dressing rooms. All as I was told was, if your shoulders are down, if the shoulders are down, you count to three, and if you don't get up, you count to ten. And that was the extent of my training for the business, you know. So geographically, Mel, you were born and grew up in Liverpool. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. In Aintree, uh, um, uh, a ten-minute walk from Aintree Base Course. Um, and went to schools in Liverpool, I went to Sherbys Lane uh, first and then up to Walton Technical College uh, and then from there I left to join the Grand Everton Football Club as a, as a trainee, as a, you know, whatever you call them, an apprentice, I think they're called nowadays, but yeah. they're called trainees. And uh, yeah, I used to go had a wonderful job painting the um, crush barriers. They used to be standing only at these grounds. Yeah. And they had crush barriers, painting them blue. And the edge of the steps white. I did that for, I think, two years. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was my training. I was lucky if I got a game of football on a Wednesday afternoon, you know. Uh, so... Um, during that time, the PFA, Professional Footballers Association, had an agreement with the clubs. I don't know, really, I don't think we still will have now because of the finances involved. But I was on one pound seventeen shillings and sixpence a week. Wow. So one pound eighty eighty five a week, um, and to subsidise this, we we were given. Um, we had to do an apprenticeship somewhere, and my apprenticeship was with a company called Tyson's, who were large builders. They built the university in Liverpool, the John Marsh University. Uh, my my uh, apprenticeship was as a chippy, as a carpenter, and spent a third amount of the time doing the uh, block flooring 
in Liverpool Cathedral, the parky flooring in the Liverpool Anglican Cathedral. Ah. Uh, and then moving from there to um, near Honish Green Lane, which was Everton's training ground, they then found me a job nearer because I was not able to drive in those days as a young 16-year-old kid. Um, near Honish Green Lane, um, it was a convent that had was being converted, if that's the word, into a school for boys. Um, and we ended up doing the block flooring in there with uh, Tony, um, the, the, the guy that trained me, you know, the, with the parquet flooring. So... There, I could, from, from there, at that, that place, I could walk to the training ground for the, uh, after the morning session of training, I could then walk back to the convent and uh, carry on with me apprenticeship training. Yeah. So, was it down in all the shop that you first became involved in wrestling, as in you first got with, the opportunity to second? With Brian, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the shop, Camberley and uh, Guildford with Dales. So, what was it that moved you out of Liverpool, Mal? Football. Right. Football. I got kicked out of everything. <laughs> no, I got transferred uh, and, you know, went over to Wolves for a season and then down to Gillingham. Hence, here I am in Kent. And how long has it been since you've settled in Kent now? Uh, I got moved here in 1962. Nearly yeah, 60 years. Begin your seconding for, for Dales in the halls out in Surrey and Hampshire, and yeah. Brian Dixon's takes over the hall there. When was it that that became a regular thing for you in terms of being involved in wrestling and that becoming your... Uh, more or less when Brian first got the contract for Butlin's holiday camps. In those days, there was eight camps and three hotels. Right. Butlin's hotels. And I put the rings in to every... Brian uh, phoned me up and said, would you like some full-time work? Now, bearing in mind in those days, the summer season started at Easter and finished sometime in October. Right. So, a long 26-week season. So would you like some full-time work? And I was working at that time, I think I was, it was the time I was working in the, print, in the printed circuit business, um, making printed circuit boards for uh, an oceanographic equipment uh, manufacturer. And I said, yeah, why not? Oh, I was fed up of going to work now to five type gimmick, you know, and what Brian offered me in those days was, was better than I was earning making printed circuit boards you know once again the world of promises which wrestling appears to be at times yes uh, which it was I can't knock it you know um, and he offered me he doubled the wage while I was on and uh, I ended up putting working with a guy called Monty Schwann uh, Monty Schwann was renovating these rings I was picking them up. I picked one up from Honeyboy Zimba's house. I picked one up from a fella called Mal Sample. There was there was eight eight rings, eight, and I had a car and a trailer. Yep. And uh, I would go down, pick a 
in Ellesmere Port. Pick up a ring, drive up to, say, Air in Scotland, drop the one off at Air. On the way back, call in at Malsample's farm, pick another one up, drop it up, drop it off at, uh, drop it off at Monty's place, you know. And I did all eight. I put the eight rings into uh, every Butlin's holiday camp. Yeah. Do you remember where those camps were, Mal? Because obviously today, the people listening may know there's only three, uh, Bognus, Skegness, yeah. Minehead. Yeah, uh, well, we then, Brian then broke the tour down, the eight into two sets of four. I run the south, which the south consisted of Clacton, Bogner, Barry Island and Minehead. Right. And Roy Bull Davis, lovely Charlie, wonderful man. Roy Bull Davis, he ran the north with the team, and that was Er, Skegness, Filey, and Patheli. Bearing in mind that I also had in the south uh, three hotels. The one hotel was the um, Grand Hotel at Scarborough. Yeah. And then I had two hotels in the south that we had to do, but we had to, somebody had to bring a ring in for these. Uh, one was at Margate, St George's Hotel in Margate, yeah. and the other one was the Ocean Hotel in Brighton. I see. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, we, we were doing quite a few shows a week. There was, you know, when you did Bogner, for example, you did Brackleton Bay and Celsius on the same day. So you do, you'd probably do three shows a day, you know. Um, Let's see. And uh, the northern run, when I switched over with Charlie, you know, sometimes I'd switch Charlie and I'd switch over. And you get the northern run. Uh, I can't remember what day it was, but you had four shows on one day. You know, you started off at silly o'clock. Um, at uh, recent sands, uh, no Primrose Valley. I beg your pardon, Primrose Valley. Then from Primrose Valley, you'd go one o'clock at Filey, Butlins at Filey Holiday Camp, and then from there you go up to Warners, all on the same road going up. Yes. You'd go to Warners Holiday Camp on the left-hand side, heading through, and then nine o'clock at night you do the Grand Hotel. Busy times. Oh, busy time, but, but you know you were. The money was good. You went on full wages in those days. The camps were not paying a lot to Brian, so you were on full money for your first camp and then half wages for your second and third or second, third and fourth or whatever, you know. So. But it was still good money in those days, you know. And you were refereeing these shows, Mal, was, as well as overseeing them. them. As well as overseeing and paying the wages, uh, we used to, uh, Friday night, wherever you were Friday, if you finished it, um, Friday night was everybody met at Liverpool Stadium. We met up with Brian at Liverpool Stadium on the Friday night, whether you come from Patheli or wherever you come from, whatever show you were doing, I can't remember the running order down south now. Yeah. But you met up with Brian at, at Liverpool Stadium. Um, I, and Charlie would be there, and I'd be there with my team, or part of the team, maybe changing the team. And uh, you'd, you'd meet up there. I'd then get the money off Brian for the next week to pay the guys for the next week. Yeah. And then head north or south, whichever Brian's instructions were, you know. 
And what was Brian doing during this time now? Was Brian running the town shows? No, Brian had a tour of um, Devon and Cornwall. He had, I think it was 10 shows, 10 or 12 shows down in Devon and Cornwall. He was doing the Devon and Cornwall run. Uh, he had town shows, these were town shows, you know. Um, I think he had one camp down there which we now know as Devon Cliff. Yes. But it used to be called something else, I can't remember. And there were some camps down there, there was a couple of talkie that he used to do, but mainly town shows. And Brian, I think Brian, he, he, it was a Penzance finish on a Friday, so the poor devil had to drive. I think his run was a two-week run. I and see. I, you know, he be back up at Liverpool, his, his run finished, doing something at, at a Friday lunchtime, as far as I knew, and then he would drive from Penzance to Liverpool, you know, for the Liverpool Stadium show, to meet up with us all, you know. Was, was you just yeah. working for Brian in this time, Mal, or was you working yeah, for other promoters also? No, I was working for Brian totally during the summer. I had one season where I worked for Brian for 26 weeks. I took my caravan up to Reedon Sands. Yeah. And I completely did the whole of that northern area for 26 weeks. Um, all along there, you know, and Brian would send. There was myself and a fellow called John Riley yeah. as Riley's son. Um, I had him, I had Andre Baker with me for two weeks, I had Billy Stock with me for six weeks, and then John Riley for the rest of the time. Uh, I took my caravan up there, and my caravan was at Reeton Sands, and then we were doing all the shows using my caravan. It was a large caravan, it was quite a reasonable size one, and uh, park it there and then uh, go out. I had a van. With a ring in it, yes. and we'd go out. We'd go out uh, doing the shows, um, you know, for the week, and that was twenty-six weeks. I think I think I went home once or twice during that twenty-six weeks, and my wife. I know my wife came up with the children to me at one stage for a couple of weeks holiday in the yes. area, you know. But, uh, yeah, that's the way, that's the way it was, the way it was, you know. And then, as you say, working for somebody else, yeah, I worked for Jack Pollo. Yep. Jack had his own promotions. Um, Neil Evans, he had his own promotions. Yep. John Fremantle, of course. John has more or less always been around. <coughs> yeah, so, you know, you, you, you work for other people. I wasn't exclusive for Brian. But I did try to give Brian priority, but sometimes it was don't hold your breath waiting for the phone call type thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, if something else come up, then you'd have to take it, you know. Definitely. Now, Mal, this is on the subject of the holiday camps. You were still active on them as of last year, so you've been involved up until very recently. How important yeah. would you say the holiday camps are to a wrestler? To a wrestler? Oh, immensely. Immensely, immensely. Two things. One, I repeat words of Johnny Kincaid to you. Yep. If done right, since, no, start again. Since the going of Saturday afternoon television, if 
the camps are done right. It is the biggest shop window for British wrestling in the country. Yes. If it's done right. And I, I remember John saying to me that uh, John was on the camps with me at one stage and he said, you know what, we work in front of like 3,000 people at Skegness. He said if 10% of these people like what they see, when they get home to their hovel, to their own homes, and they say, oh, there's Johnny Kincaid, or there's Matt Rager, or whoever was on the show, you know. Oh, look, he's on that post. That's the guy we saw at Butlins, or that's the guy we saw at Pontins, or whatever, whatever, yeah? Yeah. And they go to the show. 10% of those people, I, I, I remember John worked out somewhere in the region that we were working in front of about one and a half million people during the course of the summer. And if you worked out on a theory that 10% liked enough just to go once to a show at the, uh, you know, once they got home, then that would be a hell of a lot of revenue coming into the wrestling business. And it makes it better for everyone. Uh, listen, I always say, and I'll say it now openly, I love, I love to see a promoter making money. Because if a promoter makes money, he's a very happy bunny. If he's a happy bunny, he'll run more shows. If he runs more shows, that's more work for the lads. Definitely. It's simple logic. Simple logic. You know. So, Mel, were you, you, you were heavily involved with Brian Dixon. Was this leading into the time when he got his TV slot or as part of ITV's coverage of World of Sport? Yes, uh, I mean, I was with him. I did, I think, four or five of them, yeah, yeah. What was the first TV show that you'd done, Mel? The first one I ever did was Rollable Rocco versus Fuji Yamada at Lewisham Theatre. A championship match, world championship match. I'd done the, I'd done the one at Croydon that was not televised, um, where uh, Yamada got the strap, and then I did the television one, and this is on YouTube. Yeah. I did the television one, Yamada versus uh, Mark, uh, where Mark got the strap. That was the very first one I did, and then yeah. I did. I did Rollerball Rocker and Wayne Bridgevich versus, um, versus uh, Shane Stevens and Kendall Nagasaki. I also did Dave Finley versus Super Sandy Scott. That's an education, that one. Um, and then I did uh, Dave Finley versus Danny Boy Collins. And then I did an Alan Kilby, I think it was versus Quango, was that one. And, I, and I, you know, yeah, yeah, it was that. And then, of course, we also, Brian also had satellite television from Stoke Garden Festival. Okay. Yeah, that was on there. Mark was on it. Pat Barrett was on it. Uh, I've just been watching one. Neil Sands versus Big Bill Bromley, a referee that. Also on the same bill was Tony Sinclair versus Mal Kirk. I refereed that. There was a tag match with Blondie Barrett and Bob. Bobby Barnes, I forget who they were on against, probably Johnny Kidd and somebody. Um, and Pat Barrett and Crusher, I think it was, or was it Rocco and Crusher? I can't remember. But yeah, I, you know, we used to go to the 
this massive big striped tent and it was filmed for satellite television with the commentator was Maxton G. Beasley who showed up on the recent uh, ITV World Sport Revival. Yes. You know, haven't seen him since. Uh, I hadn't seen him since days of filming at Stoke and then his name was mentioned, oh, I think he did a, um, a few words as well, backstage wording. Uh, on the new uh, revival, yeah. yeah. Another thing, sorry, you were also well known for was going overseas to take part in the German tournaments. How yeah, did that first uh, come about for you? Um, look, when I do when I do my talks at various wrestling schools, one of my statements that I always say to wrestlers. Of upcoming wrestlers is whatever you want in the wrestling business, you must go to it. It will not come to you. No. Now, those were words that were given to me by one of the best wrestlers this country has ever produced, and that was a fellow called John Cortez. Yes. John was. Uh, absolute master <coughs> and John Cortez said if you want anything well you have to go and get it yourself Pelt. you know it's not going to come to you so I said that so I decided that I would get in my uh, caravanette and drive out to Germany meet up with Dave and Paula out there Dave Finlay and Paula yes and went up to Pete Williams and said I am Mal Mason referee from Great Britain. If you have a specialist match at the weekend, uh, I'd like to referee it. I don't pay it. I just want you to look at me. And as it happened, Rocco was coming in that weekend with uh, and on against a fellow called Steve Wright, who's very good wrestler. Very a German very wrestler, yes. Well, oh, he's a British he, wrestler that moved to Germany. He, but he lived in Germany, yeah. Right. He was, I mean, he was something else, Steve Wright, he really was. And his brother Bernie as well, Bernie Wright. Yes. Worked with him in Hamburg. Anyway, there was that piece of said, well, if you'd like to do that, you can do. So, as I went from the, I spent a few days with uh, Dave and Paul, and they showed me around uh, Hanover and the lake and everything, you know, very nice. And uh, Cannonball as well. Dave, very cleverly took me on the fairground and got me pissed on glue vine and stuck me on the bloody Mary Rose that just went up and down, up and down. Oh, I was sick. <laughs> I wasn't very well, to say the least. Anyway, uh, as only family could. Anyway, the next uh, thing, I drove over to uh, Ham Hanover, Hamburg, Hamburg, and did the same thing to Rennie Lassiter. I said, hi, Rennie Lassiter, I'm Mel Mason. British referee. Yes. Uh, if you've got a specialist match or a championship match at the weekend, uh, I'm doing Saturday night for Peter down in Hanover. Yeah. Uh, but if you've got something on Sunday, I don't want pain. I just want you to look at me. And I was lucky. I was so, so lucky. It, the main event that they were flashing that Sunday night was. Uh, Drew McDonald, wrestler, villain, versus Johnny Kincaid, boxer, face. Right. Yeah? 
a match that I've been refereeing around the country, around Great Britain for three months. Yes. So I knew where to be for the soccer punch. I knew what was going on. I knew everything. So, of course, when I get this soccer punch, do a bloody near somersault from it and take a bump on it and boom, 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 and so on. Uh, Renny Lazatez, well, the top and bottom line, I got 10 years' work out of it. At, at the, you know, doing the tournaments. Um, you know, he said, I can't use you this year, but next year. And then he phoned me up next the following May or June, and he says, "Look, what we're going to do?" He says, "The way we're going to in- the way we're going to introduce you to the tournaments." He said, "We're going to get all the British wrestlers. They're fed up of this German referee uh, and the French referee and the German referee siding with all the German wrestlers. Um, the British wrestlers are Steve Regal, Robbie Brooks, I Drew, and so on. Uh, they were all going to have a sit-in." in the middle of the ring and demand a British referee. So in two weeks, two weeks after the tournament started, you're going to come in as the new referee, British referee. And that's how I was introduced. That's how I, you know, was introduced into the German shows. Uh, for those listening now that might not know how the German tournament works, what was the whole setup of it? Was you doing these shows from so, one tent? And he'd do 
one, three, and five. You know what I mean? Or, or you do two and four, he do one and one and, one and uh, three. You know. So you work half the night with about eight times more money than you got in England. Yeah. Uh, uh, how long would the tournaments last for? How long would you be out in Germany for? Uh, each tournament lasted about six to eight weeks. Uh, Germany ones, I only did the Hamburg ones. Um, I did other. I did others on short notice. You know, I went out to Austria for a week. Um, but I, the Hamburg one was always six weeks. It was forty-two nights. Wow! And you worked every night. And what was the arrangement with your living, Mal? Where would you be living out there? Well, you take, take your caravan, drive your caravan out there. You put your caravan up against the back of the the uh, tent. So it's like the circus. So, it's like the circus. No, it's not like a circus tent. No, it's a it's a long, <laughs> long building with an apex roof. With a you know, right. A, a top roof like a like a like you would see a terrace row of terraced houses. Yes. Yeah, with that type of roof, you know, um, and it would be long. Um, there would be um, a caravan in the front, which would be the castle, the, the, uh, where they, they would, uh, inside the tent, but there would be a hole in the tent wall where they would take the money. And inside the tent also was like these, <laughs> one, the, like an old railway carriage, but it, they were actually building site uh, uh, units. They were on wheels. Um, one was the toilets, yeah, and the other one was uh, a shower room uh, that we had, and the other one was our changing room. Or two, I think two together was the changing room, and we'd all change in that area there, you know. I um, see. Uh, but your caravans were all parked up at the back of the back of the tent. Um, if I remember the last time I was there, Dave Duke had a. Um, a motorhome, a little uh, high-age motorhome, and then there was me on the end with mine, then next to me was Johnny South, but, oh, no, I can't, uh, Chris, Chris uh, Eckstein, he was there with his caravan, uh, oh, um, the, the, the guy, the guy, he does King Kendo, Dale oh, Preston, Dale Preston, Dale, Dale Braun, yeah, his caravan was there, and, you know, you know, Line up at the back of the at the back of the tent. Throwing a yeah, you had electric. He threw your cable in, you know, into the tent um, where the generator was. There was a, 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 a petrol or diesel driven generator that you know that was on the size of a large trailer. And you had all these plugs in it, and you just find yourself a plug and <laughs> get your power, you know, which you were charged for through the nose, I might add. But, uh, hey. There you go. <laughs> Basically, I remember saying to Danny Collins when we were in uh, when we were in Austria, his, his Danny's uh, good lady was uh, from a very well-to-do family. <laughs> I said, I wonder what. I wonder what Tracy's mum and dad would think about her living like a bloody gypsy for <laughs> six months of the year, you know. <laughs> but, uh, that's, the way, that's the way it was. That's the way. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Thoroughly enjoyable time, you know. Now, Mel, you said you've been involved in the wrestling for over 50 years. Well, uh, 50 years this coming September. Uh, this September the 22nd of this year, I will have been with the wrestling business 
starting from the second in with Dales uh, for 50 years, uh, two years with Dales, then 48 years basically with Brian. Yes. But uh, filling in gaps from Brian when Brian um, didn't use me or hadn't got the shows or whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, with Brian for 48 years, yeah, and right up till two hours ago when I spoke to him on the phone, we've been friends and work associates for that period of time, you know. You're predominantly known, Mel, for being a referee, and of all the matches you've refereed, what match or matches stand out in your mind most as some of the best you've been in the ring with? Easiest question of all that you've asked me today. <laughs> There was a match I refereed, and I believe, I believe, it was at Leeds, is it Town Hall or City Hall? It's a, it's a 1,700-seater, and it was heaving. And it was a match between Eddie Hemmel, who at that time was called Kung Fu. Yes. Against a fella called Johnny Palance. Right. Now, he was the son of a wrestler, uh, somebody called Man, M-A-N-N, I believe that was his dad, I, I don't take that as, as written, but uh, I think he was the son of a, of a wrestler, uh, a very hard man, John, very tough guy, and, and so was Eddie, Eddie was as well, but um, in those days, it was in my youth, to share that with us Mel Place 
were bloody animals because they even treated me the same as they would have treated Les and I was one of them. Yeah. You know, so so he he didn't like me and that was Eddie Hemmel that told me that 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 was the reason why he didn't like me. But in saying that, one of the men I had the most respect for was Les Kelly, believe it or not. Right. You know, that guy could get in the ring and just have the audience eat eat it out of his hand. The guy who I admire the most of all in the business, who I've worked with many times, I've stayed with him many times, is Jimmy Briggs. Yes. I don't know if you've seen any of the matches of Jimmy Briggs, but when I was refereeing, um, Klondike Kate will also tell you this, we lived through very violent times in the refereeing business, in the wrestling business, sorry. We lived through violent times. One referee, Roger Brown, he got the seven bells kicked out of him at one show. Um, what was that for? Uh, a wrong decision, making a wrong decision, basically. Right. You know, making a wrong decision. Basically, or not seeing what the villain had done. Yes. Uh, and their, their hero losing the match, and so on. He got out of the ring, and that, that was a bat pavilion, and the punters had him. And I was MC that night, and you know. And, but Jimmy, going back to Jimmy Briggs, you stand in the ring with Jim, he'd be on with, say, somebody like Johnny Saint, who I've refereed him and John many times. Yeah. Um, he'd be in there with Johnny Saint, he'd be doing some evil things to John. And if you'd given a knife to a punter, they would willingly stick it in Jimmy Briggs. However, wow. however, when it was time for Jimmy to get out the ring, he might have gone over and he might have gone over dodgy or whatever. But when it was time for Jimmy to walk up that aisle, they were patting him on the back saying, good old Jim, good old Jim. You, you know, working on the theory that Jack Palo said, never bring, him, never bring him up if you can't bring him down. And Jimmy could bring them up. But by God, when he was ready to walk back down that aisle, he knew how to bring the punters down again, you know. Another another story that you may be interested in, and Kincaid can bear me out on this. Yes. We were we were at um, we were at the corner exchange in in uh, Bedford one night. Yeah. And it was Johnny Kincaid and Dave Bond, the Caribbean Sunshine Boys. Yes. And I've got a feeling it was Ben and uh, Ben and Mark, Kid, uh, King Ben and, and Kid McCoy, they were on against. And they went out the ring and they're fighting down the ring and I'm standing next to John in the, watching the back, like, you know, watching his back. And the Rastafarian come up to John, pulled out an 18-inch machete. Wow. Handed it to John and said, give him some of this. (laughs) (laughs) John King came, put both his hands up and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Backed off. Time to get back in the ring, lads. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, yes, Kincaid, if you see him, about the, 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 the rest of the so it, was, it was a violent time. You know, I mean, Jane, 
Jane got done in there, uh, a young uh, Wendy Mills, uh, she worked for Spitfire, she got done at Liverpool Stadium, badly cut, badly beaten up, the young kid, she was only a young girl, I think she married um, Tony Scarlow's son, Dino. Right. Um, yeah, she got badly beaten up in Liverpool, and uh, of course she indeed didn't do Liverpool Stadium, there was a tunnel, and you went right down this tunnel to the dressing rooms, the dressing rooms were way down the bottom, and of course by the time the boys, if Jane, it was a massive um, stadium, yes. and it was circular, and by the time Jane got like three rows, three rows up the aisle, they, they had a, they had Klondike, you know, they they were doing it, and by the time the boys come out, the poor girl had got bloody uh, seven bells kicked out of her, you know. Yeah. And it was a fabulous time, and some of the uh, some of the holes, some of the holes were, um, yeah, they they certainly they were not, not on the Christmas card list. Norwich was one, Liverpool Stadium was the other, and Plymouth was the other. And you go down there, and if you if you had a suit of armour, you put it on type of thing. You know? <laughs> I see. Funny enough, I, I mean, I've been in the ring. I've been in foreign countries in the ring, and I've disqualified their baby faces from the country I've been in. But the only time I was really frightened was the the Saturday after John Quinn had been on the television. I don't know if you've seen the film of it where he said. All Englishmen are cowards. No, I've not seen that. No, he said you could. Uh, he did a speech similar on the lines of "You can always, you can always rely on the English. You can always rely on them in the battle. You know, you can always rely on them to get off and run like hell away from it. You know, uh, all Englishmen are cowards." Uh, that was on the Saturday that came out on the television. I think it was filmed a few months before. But it came out on the television on the Saturday. On the Tuesday night, I was refereeing John at Plymouth against the guy who was the manager of, uh, of um, Yake Tesco. He was, uh, I, can't, I can't remember, Manelli, Martinelli. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was on with him. And John Quinn come out that dressing room and the crowd erupted <laughs> it just went off and they hadn't even been in the ring you know and it really and i was really frightened that night it's the only time i have been frightened on that um, in Beirut when they all got the guns out and started shooting it up in the air when I was standing in the ring with Danny Danny Lynch ah. uh, <laughs> that didn't worry me Danny said you know the only thing that worried me they were shooting the bullets up in the air and I said bloody hell Danny he said don't worry lad when they point the gun at you that's when you worry <laughs> <laughs> I said oh, I'm not worried Danny I said they're shooting up in the air what goes up has got to come down I said seven mile an hour is just as violent as it going in at bloody 1,500 mile an hour, you know. Definitely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned yeah, some yeah. notorious halls there, Mel. Which yeah. halls have been your favourite to work in? The favourite of them all ever was a Southampton pier before it was classified as dangerous. The pier was uh, classified as, as collapse. I used to love going there. I used to like the Johnson Hall at Yeovil uh, until they 
decided to put us on the stage, um, we were then too far away from the audience because you've worked on stages yourself. You've yeah. done um, uh, Basildon for one, but at least the audience are there. With with the Johnson Hall Yeovil, you had the ring on the stage, and then you had an orchestra pit of about ten foot wide. You know, so you right. were just too far away. So when it became when it became that, but Johnson Hall Yeovil, I like used to like doing. I used to like Oxford Town Hall as well. That was a nice place to do. You know. Lots of and all these halls are, you know, each hall you could always something there you could tell a story about <laughs> the Oxford Town Hall, the nice we I don't know television I think it was and um, the producer or the director stood on the stage I was MC and he stood on the stage and uh, he told me that he would cue me when it was time to go you know when yeah and, uh, good evening ladies and gentlemen he stood with his hip on this <laughs> stood with his hip on, a hand on his hip <laughs> and saw the bent arm pointing at me saying cue you sweetie <laughs> 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 well you can imagine the stick i got after that from that every time i saw the lad you know hello sweetie <laughs> So Mel, you started the British Wrestlers Reunion, which still runs to this day. I, I did, yeah. Where did yeah. the idea of it come from? What made you want to start uh, that? Well, no, it, I, it, if in all honesty, and I say this every time I'm approached on this subject, in all honesty, if any credit should go, we wrestlers reunion the credit should go to cat weasel's wife right when carrie died uh, i think his wife's name was annette i can't remember now i used to i was transport for gary for two years gary was epileptic so he couldn't drive right um i used to pick him up and because i i got to know his wife his family his daughter who has just recently passed on as you may know yeah and uh, i um, i was standing talking to uh, uh, gary left a thousand pound for the boys to have a few beers after he passed on right you know, after the funeral and we were all in this pub um it was this, uh, the uh, pool room and they put boards on the tables and the food was all laid out on the tables and we stood round in groups and i stood talking to johnny quango and mick mcmanus yeah and annette come up to to us and joined us and was talking to us uh, i'm sure her name was annette can't remember but anyway um and she says isn't it a shame Mal? look at the boys look around she says the only time the guys get together is when somebody dies Look at them all chatting and enjoying themselves. No punters breathing down the necks, you know, and so on and so on. You can, you know, villains like, well, I stood with Johnny uh, Quango and Mick, who have probably battled each other a thousand times in the punters' eyes, yes. you know. But we were standing there having a beer and so on, and, you know, referees, I would always, more or less always travel on my own to shows, not mixing with the wrestlers and so on. So, you know, it was nice to be able to get two shows 
uh, to <coughs> sorry it sounds sounds bad doesn't it get to funerals where you can meet up with the guys or um, <laughs> not have to worry about the, the public you know yeah and it was there if anybody and I just said and and uh, and it would make it was Mick that said to me you're the organizer man <laughs> get up <laughs> so I did and had the first one in my garden um I, I spoke to Tony Scarlow about it, and he said, oh, I like, you know, because I didn't know all the Dale guys. I didn't have a phone number for the Dale's guys. I only had all the guys who had come over to Brian, like Jack Palo, Ricky Starr, Miss Keller, Adrian Street, and so yeah. on and so on. I had all their numbers, but I didn't have the Dale's guys, you know, the, the um, uh, Bernard Murray and Pensacoff and uh, Shirley, of course, and you know, the, the guys that were still over with Nails at the time prior to moving to Brian, probably Mark as well, probably Mark Rocco was still with Brian with a thing, possibly, I don't know. <laughs> but Tony Scarlo pulled in the Dales guys and um, I pulled in the English guys, the uh, Brian guys, as you might say. Yeah. And we had the first one in my garden and 25 turned up. Wow. 25, yeah. Johnny Quango was there, Dave Bond, uh, Pat Roach, uh, Tony Scarlow, of course. Um, oh, I can't remember. Todd Tug Holton, Tommy Holton, uh, Bob Kirkwood. Uh, oh, that's when I had the big... I don't know, did you ever come to my place when I had the big house? I don't think I ever have been, Mal, no. No, okay, no. Give you some idea. Yeah, the garden that I had. I had 34 cars parked in on my 40th birthday party. Wow. So, you know, there's plenty of room to hold a reunion there. Definitely. Um, yeah. And I got a photo on me on my phone. Or if not on my phone, it's on my laptop here. Um, all the guys were assembled together. Okay, oh, Times, he was another one. Brian Minnelli, he was another one. Steve Minnelli's dad. Yeah. <laughs> and he was another one that was there. Dave Bond, Johnny Crandall, uh, Pat Roach. And, fun and funny enough, uh, Dave Bond and Pat Roach are not on the photo. They were in my kitchen. I remember that cooking fish. So they went there. But that's how it. That's how it basically started. And then I, um, we sort of pulled in Joe Durazio from somewhere. I don't know. Tony pulled him in. Yeah. Um, and it, the, the, the people were complaining that it was too far to drive down to me in Kent. Um, and the next time it was taken to Joe Joe uh, Cornelius's pub in Crantock Street. Um, I don't know if you know where that is. <laughs> if you stand at Marble Arch with you and look down, look down uh, Edgware Road. Yes. I believe it's the second one on the right going down there. So I you see. Imagine, you can imagine, uh, uh, the pub was called Cantor. Um, you can imagine what the parking was like. Yes, I certainly can. <laughs> certainly left a bit to be desired. Yes. Um, so it lasted there just for the one uh, one show it then moved to bill bridges pub uh, william i think it's called the Willie prince prince of orange or william of orange <laughs> um, that was on the uh forecourt of the Greenwich railway station i see right on the corner by the station uh parking was at a premium i know even on a sunday um you have to pay the parking meters so 
I think everybody was rather uh, rather pleased when it moved to uh, the bridges where it is now in uh, Durant, South Durant. Yes. Uh, yeah. The only thing that it... Uh, I stopped going because uh, two reasons I stopped my involvement was was the awards. Yeah. Um, they talked about giving awards out, and I believe they still do it to this day. Yeah. Um, and my argument was, why should we give, uh, I'll use you as an example, why should we give Josh Faulkner one? When we're not giving Sid Man, why not Sid Mansa? Oh, because Sid Mansa can fuck himself, Mal. <laughs> <laughs> he'll listen to that and he'll like that. Yeah, but do you know what I mean? It's, um, you know, why should you give Brian Manelli one Sorry, but Brian Maxine, uh, Alistair, not Yeah, 250 punters. It's understandable, now don't be so be silly.
go to the Northern Reunion. It's all boys in there. It's all the boys in there. You can go and talk and you're not pestered. And it's nice to see your friends and to be able to talk to the, you know, the, head, the Eddie Hemmels and the Johnny Saints and the Colin Johnsons and the Tony Sinclairs and the Dave Taylors, Boston Blackie, etc., etc., etc. It's nice to go up there and talk to these guys and not have somebody breathing down your bloody neck. Now, can you, can you introduce me to that now? Is that Joe Bloggs, you know, and, uh, no, it's so nice. <laughs> uh, moving on here, Mal. So your yes. your name is always mentioned when you're talking about the best referees to come out of England. What, in your opinion, makes a good referee? Being in the wrong place at the right time and not forgetting your status. You're there to make the bloody number of full stop. The re- you see, wrestlers, their names are in the programme. Then their photographs and names are on the posters. They're the ones the punters come to see. Yes. They don't come to see the referee. They come to see they come to see the wrestlers. Never forget, never forget that they're the stars. You've still got a job to do, but don't try it. There was one particular referee. He used to put himself up. I mean, I, 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 you probably noticed I'm not degraded anybody by name on here. Yes. And I wouldn't do, I wouldn't do that. I, I try not to do that. But was one referee in my era, and uh, I'll call him James Mason's friend, for want of another word, (laughs) (laughs) and he was a pain in the arse. I remember Finley slapping him on the back one day, and I thought, if it it had been me, he'd have gone, (laughs) Finley had gone right through me, you know, (laughs) slapped him bloody hard through putting himself over and being in the way you know he really was something else this referee and another story as well foreign referee I remember that that first I told you about doing the Rocco and uh, the Rocco and uh, Steve Wright match in Hanover yes that first that first year I went out there and I was watching the show, I was trying to watch how the format was of the show, you know, and I stood with Dave Taylor and Dave Finlay at the back of the hall. There was a place at the back where the wrestlers could come out the dressing room unseen and watch the rest, watch what was going on in the ring. Yeah. And I stood with them two and watched the referee, um, uh, I think he was the senior referee there, he wasn't English, he was foreign, I'm not going to mention names. And I just looked at this guy and I thought, bloody hell, I give up refereeing. This guy, I was in awe of him. Right. Wow, look at this guy. And Finley says, and I I said that to Finley, and Dave Finley says to me, he's fucking useless. I don't think he swore, I don't think he swore, but he said he's useless. He said, watch him. He's too busy trying to put himself over. Now, looking at it from that aspect, yeah, that's all he was doing was putting himself over, but in doing it, he looked good doing it, put it that way, you know. But uh, as a referee, being in the wrong place at the right time, and I have so much respect for wrestlers. I really have. I've done it myself. No, I'll rephrase that. I have tried to do it myself. <laughs> I've tried to do it myself. 
And I have so much respect that you can throw a punch at somebody. I will enlarge on that for other reasons, but, you know, you can throw a punch. Definitely. And it's a a powder puff effect elsewhere, put it that way. You know, so much respect. So much respect that you can come off the top rope, you know, that bloody suplex off the top rope thing. Yeah. How the hell you get up if that had been me? I'd have bloody stayed down there and died, you know. <laughs> no, I have so much. Every wrestler, it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter who they are. I have so much respect for these guys that day after day after day, they throw themselves about, yourself included, Josh. You're one of the better ones of the newer brace. That's very kind of you to say, Mel. Not at all, not at all. Um, you know, and, and so much respect for all of you, you know. And, and the younger generation coming up. The only sad part about uh, today's business is, oh, I'll ask you a question, Josh. Yeah. When you see the poster outside of the, the building or around the town, what's the top line across? What's the top word across the top of it? Well, it should be wrestling. That's right. Not acrobatics, not gymnastics, wrestling. Yes. And, I, you know, I watched, I watched some kids doing this, and I think, ask them to do a short arm scissors and roll, roll their opponent, and they, wonder, they, they, they probably want to go to the channels to buy a pair of fucking scissors. No, <laughs> sorry, sorry. no, no, by all means, there's, there's, there's no rating on this. It's funny you say that, Mel, because my next question to you is, you mentioned earlier that you go to wrestling schools and you do talks or you're speaking to younger wrestlers at the shows. For those yeah. of you that haven't had the opportunity to speak to you, what advice can you pass on to the younger generation of wrestlers, or the uh, not so much the younger, but the up-and-coming wrestlers of today? The up-and-coming wrestlers of today, I always say, abide by four rules. There are four rules to abide by. Rule one get to the show at the prescribed time yeah on time you know you may be asked to go to a show at two o'clock in the afternoon because they're doing the filming and they might be filming the incidentals in the afternoon yeah that appertain to the show of a night so get to the show at the prescribed time yeah rule number two do as you're told without question. So if a promoter comes up to you and says, I want you to go down to a guy you know damn well is ten times worse than you are, yep. do as you're bloody told because yep. the promoter has a reason for doing this. Yep. He has a reason for it. So do as you're told without question. Rule number three. Hold your hand out. Rule number four, fuck off home. Yep. So, get to the show on time. Do as you're told without question. Hold your hand out to get paid. Go home. It's, it's that simple. It is that simple. I couldn't agree that's, I couldn't agree more of you there, Mel. That, that's, that's how simple the business is if it's done right. Yeah. You know, I remember Rollerball saying to me many years ago, Whatever is done in this business 
If it's done right, it will have impact. Definitely. If it's done wrong, you just look a prick. Yeah. Well, I think Mark used the word full. You'll just look a full. You know, and there were so many guys that wanted to emulate Rocco <laughs> and failed miserably because he was something else during his his era in the business, you know? I know what you mean, Mel. He certainly was something else. He was he was ahead of his time without any shadow of doubt. Yeah. And it's just a shame that Mark is where he is and I just hope, I'm hoping beyond hope, that there is some way of recovery for the guy because, you know, I work with my referee, Mark, God, I don't know, a hundred times, uh, you know, and, uh, yeah, just wish him well, wish him well, and uh, and, uh, and his, his, his lovely wife, yeah. So, Mel, you no longer referee, unfortunately, so what roles do you currently do within wrestling? Yes. Um, one is for Rumble Promotions, the other one is for Hearts of Essex Wrestling. Yep. Um, both companies I like working for. Yep. I love working for both companies. I enjoy working for a Rumble. Absolutely no pressure whatsoever working for that company. It's a nice, easy-going company. Um, Steve Barker, the promoter, well-thought-out shows. Yep. He does give his show some thought. Um, you know, he does give his show some thought. Uh, and the same with Sam Nee. Sam Nee will phone me up and say, what do you think of this, Mal? What do you, you know, what, what do you think if we do this? What do you think we do? And, you know, I try to offer him some advice. Uh, advice is very easy to give and very hard to take. Yes. But, uh, you know, at least the guy is giving his forthcoming show some thought. A lot of, there's a difference between being a promoter and running a show. No, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Like Brian Dixon, Steve Barker, they're promoters, you know? Yeah. Those people who I won't name run shows. Totally different perspective. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Mal, in closing here, what's your plans for the future? Um, I'm, I'm sure I, I speak on behalf of a load of people when I say that we hope we keep having you around the shows. You're of that generation that I, I personally feel needs to be kept strong within British wrestling. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it would appear that the NXT is looking at it in that uh, uh, way as well because of 
giving the position to Johnny Saint, you know. Yes. <laughs> you couldn't have given it to a better guy, could you? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see Marty Jones involved with the with the wrestling. You know, Marty is... Uh, he, he won't get a, uh, a much better trainer than Marty, you know. No. And, of course, Ricky Knight. Oh, Ricky is... Ricky eats, sleeps, and drinks wrestling. Yes. And I just feel so sorry for Ricky at this precise moment because of his dreaded COVID-19 COVID, uh, that it's crippling Ricky, not only financially, but mentally, you know, and I do feel sorry for him. Yeah, um, I just agree. hope a speedy return to the business for everybody, of course, you know, for everybody and everybody, hey, out there, all of you, stay safe, I want to see you again. No, I'm, I'm sure they'll be thinking the same about you, Mel. Thanks you once again for taking the time to come on and talk, I really do appreciate it. Many thanks once again to Mal Mason for taking the time to come and talk his near 50 years in professional wrestling. That's quite the achievement. If you've enjoyed this week's show and wish to reach out to us on social media with either praise, feedback, suggestions, you can find us firstly on the Twitter, at Josh T. Faulkner, Instagram, The Josh Faulkner, and Facebook, Josh Faulkner Comedy. My guest next week is a hybrid of the old school and the new school, none other than the Phoenix himself, Jody Fleisch. Until then, it's goodbye from me.